We're back, or at least I'm back this week with another episode of Jujitero's Coast to Coast, the podcast that talks about what's important on and off the mats. On this week's episode, I'm going to be covering ADCC Asia and Oceania trials that just wrapped up this last weekend. UFC Fight Night main event, Calvin Cater versus Josh Emmett, and last week's Who's Next episode number five. So stay tuned, Jujiteros. This is the motivation. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you all had a fantastic weekend. And you know what? Happy belated Father's Day to all the hard-ass working dads out there. Thank you all pops out there for holding it down each and every day. Now let's get down to business. I want to first start by talking about this past weekend's UFC Fight Night event. And I'm talking about the UFC Fight Night that was headlined by Calvin. I'm a pot the cockita. Taking on Josh, the best tattoos in the UFC, Emmett. OMG, folks, OMG. If you have not watched this fight and you have it recorded on your DVR and you got it deep hidden beneath beneath your wife's episodes of 90 Day Fiance or what's that other chingadero out there that they like to watch, Housewives of Atlanta, um, Murray. Said Dubai, Hollywood, Miami, I don't know. Erase those things and go watch this card. I kid you not. This card was so dang good. It was lights out from the get-go. We retreated with five finishes in the prelims, people. Five. There were five KOs slash TKOs on the prelim. Then moving on to the main card, there were three more. Not even counting the main event. That is like literally fight of the night material. It was fantastic. After the fight was over, the dust settled. I talked to, I was able to talk to some of the boys, and everybody was all over the place. Cousin Ant was pissed at me. Uh, by the way, I had Calvin Cater. Uh, our boy John Anik also had Calvin Cater. Eddie had, oh, I'm sorry, rewind, rewind. Let me take that back. I had Josh Emmett. John Anik from the UFC uh, comment, commentators, who also has a podcast with Ken Florian, also had uh, Josh Emmett. Eduardo, the fight professor, had Calvin Cada. Cousin Ant had Calvin Cada. Cousin Ant was literally ready to wring my neck through the phone because he was furious at the results of this fight. So let's talk about this fight a little bit. Let's see. Let's talk about what ended up happening. Uh, if you haven't heard, like I said, it was a war. It was a hell of a fight. Uh, there's a lot of dust. There's a lot of people upset on the internet right now talking about this was a robbery. You know what? Maybe it is. Maybe it wasn't. Uh, I don't think this was any worse of a decision. Or actually, it was less worse of a decision, if that's making any sense, than last week's decision when uh, Valentina got the decision over Dalian. So, uh Let's break this fight down. Let me, let me tell you what I saw. I watched this fight a uh, lot, maybe not live, but a little delayed after having some drinks. Uh, but as I was watching it, I right, you know what I mean? Not really scoring the match, just watching it as a casual observer. Uh, I thought, I felt that when the, the, the decision was announced and Emmett was announced the winner, 
I had no problem. I didn't even think twice about, about it. I turned it off. Me and cousin Ant starts med- messaging. Uh, he's telling me that he thought that Calvin won the fight. I'm telling him, you know what? I, I honestly, I thought Emmett won. I'll have to rewatch it again. And I rewatched it again. And I thought that Emmett won round one. I thought that Emmett won round two. I thought that Emmett won round three. And then Cater had four and five. Now, as the fight went on, the uh, I did notice that Emmett's pace did slow down. However, before it got to that point, I thought he was landing the more powerful shots. I thought that he was pushing the pace. I thought that he was stalking Calvin more than Calvin was seeking Emmett. I thought that Emmett uh, landed with more combos. I thought that he was mixing it up by going to the head, going to the body. I'm not sure if he – I can't remember. I think he landed a few leg kicks as well. He did try to land some takedowns or at least attempted some takedowns. He wasn't able to land one, but he was doing more. Now, let's talk about the boy Calvin Amapot, the cockada, because that boy was on fire. He was landing that jab all damn night. And if you haven't saw the after effects, go check out pictures of Josh Emmett because his freaking eye got busted open all around. I mean, it looked like the Bermuda Triangle of cuts all over the place. I mean, there was a, a Cuba cut. There was a Florida cut. There was a Bahama. I mean, there was cuts all over the place. However, his corner was able to keep the swelling down. He didn't seem to have any type of uh, vision problems. And the and he kept pressing on. He kept coming after Cater. He kept coming after Cater. And I can't count how many times i mean i i noticed i noticed this the most in rounds one and two where josh would stalk calvin and throw a combo and it it, at least to me it looked like it landed i mean calvin might have deflected some with a bicep or with an elbow or with his hand but it looked to me that he was getting hit by these combos where josh would go up high and then come down low two times or go up high two times and end with the body shot. And the third shot always seemed to push Calvin against the cage and bounce him back up. Uh, I was messing around with somebody at work saying that uh, Calvin kind of looked like the ultimate warrior back in the day, bouncing off of the ropes, trying to gain some momentum to throw a crazy leg dropper, crazy flying something. Uh, not really, but it did seemed to appear that those power shots were affecting Calvin and were uh, impeding his movement somewhat. Because at that point, once Josh had Calvin pressed up against the cage because he blasted him there, there's nowhere, no other place for Calvin to go but come forward, and he would have to come into some of his punches. And I kind of thought that he he won the those exchanges. Although Calvin was Landing the most shots. Uh, I'm looking at the UFC stats on their website. And let me give you a round-by-round breakdown of what the significant strikes uh, counted looks like. In round one, they have Calvin landing 14 of 39 shots. Uh, Josh Emmett landing 11 of 35. So if this is a karate tournament, I guess, or points, then for sure, Calvin wins round one. Round two... Uh, Calvin, 22 of 78, with Josh 
landing 26 of 73. So Emmett winning that round. I, I wrote in my notebook because as this each fight was each round was ending, I would write a little bit of notes. Uh, and I thought, honestly, Josh won round one. And I thought that Emmett won round two. However, I did write in my notes that it was a really close round. And I wouldn't argue if somebody gave it to Kata. My dog may not under may not agree with that. You better settle down, Charlie. Uh, but it is what it is, and the fight stats don't lie. So Josh Emmett did win that round. Round three looks like Kata uh, landed 19 out of 66, and Emmett landed 27 of 77. So I had that round for Emmett, and the stats seem to show that that round also went to Emmett. Round four, Callum Cater, 41 out of 106. Josh, 21 out of 80. So like I said, I had that round for Cater, and the stats agree. Round five, 34 out of 86 for Cater, and 22 out of 67 shots landed for Emmett. So again, I thought that Cater won round five, and he did. Now, let's look at the judges' scorecards. I have them pulled up here. And I'm looking at Judge Chris Lee's card. And he had round one, 9-10 Emmett. I agree. He had round two, 10-9 Kata. I disagree. But again, I said I thought that it could have went either way. So I guess I kind of agree. Round three, he has Emmett. Round four, he has Emmett. I don't agree with that. Round five, he has Kata. Uh, next judge, Doug Crosby. Doug Crosby has round one, 9 10 Emmett. Uh, round two, 10 9 Kata. Round three, 10 9 Emmett. Round four, 10 9 Kata. Round five, 10 9 Kata. And then we have Sal Diamato. Sal Diamato scores the first three rounds just like me 10 9 all for Josh Emmett and rounds four and five for Kater, just like I had. So, I don't know. It is. It, I mean, it was a really close fight. Do they need to run it back? Maybe. But you know what? I kind of see this as a thing in Cater's background. You know, uh, if you look at his last fight, I think his last fight before this was against Gigi Chikese, which he ended up winning by decision. Uh, I, I don't remember if it went five rounds or not, but I do remember that there was a point where in the match where Gigi, what did seem to take over, but Cater just kind of persevered and did just enough to win the match. Now, he did he do enough to win on the scorecard? I thought he did. Now, if we go back to the fight before that, Cater fought Max. Hey, you know how that, that ended, and you know how Max typical Max's typical fights go. He schools everybody, minus Volkanovski, and we'll see that again in a couple of weeks. Now, before that, though, Cater took on uh, – our boy who just uh, retired, and his name was uh, – who's the guy that just retired? Oh, my gosh. It's escaping my name. Uh, gosh darn. I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. But anyways, he just retired. Sabit. Dang, I can't believe I forgot his name. He was good for a while too. So shout out to Sabit. Thank you for the good fights, my man. Uh, but Sabit gave Kada a beatdown, and it wasn't until the end of the fight where Kada finally started pressing the pace. Now, the point I'm trying to make is I feel that Cater is a little gun-shy sometimes, and he needs to push the pace. Now, he has enough – I feel like he has enough gas in the tank, so I don't think that it's uh, cardio.
cardio issue. He has the game plan. He's got the hands. He's got the tools to do it. I just feel that it's it's a mindset thing, and he just feels that he can't pull the trigger. I'm I'm not sure what it is, you know. Uh, going back to the way that the fight was was uh, scored, you know, I'm not sure what the heck the UFC judges go by. In my head, I don't I don't even think I've ever read the 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 way the judges score the cards. I've never read the rules in any state. However, I do remember the way. Judges score the fight in pride. And I am an old school MMA fan. I am uh, particular to pride rules. But I'm going to say they had it nailed down, man. Pride, one, a few of the categories that pride uh, scored fights was they scored it by damage. You know, did somebody end up in, getting, in the fight getting close to being TKO'd, KO'd, or knocked out? Uh, did and damage that was something that was very, very big back in the pride days. Uh, something that I feel the UFC judges really like to see in the fights is octagon control and who's pushing the pace of the fight or predicting where the fight goes. Are they is it a stand up fight because the other person can't be taken down and they refuse to go for takedowns? Is the other person Controlling the center of the octagon and pushing the other their opponent against the cage and dictating where they're able to move. And I feel that's where Josh Emmett won this fight. He was able to win based off the UFC rule set. And those of you that know how ADCC went in the past and how who's number one rules go and some of the other rule sets that might have different rules. Yes, if you're good at reading the rules and understanding you're totally able to, I'm not going to say manipulate the rules, but you know the rules so well that you're able to follow them to a T and guarantee yourself a victory. And that might have been what happened here. And I don't know if Josh Emmett's corner was well-versed in the rules because throughout this fight, they kept telling Josh, hey, you're winning. You won this round. You won the next round. You won the next round. Uh, you know, one thing that I failed to mention was that I turned the commentary down in this fight. I watched it several times, and each time I watched it, I did turn it down. So I don't know what the hell the guys commentating in the booth were saying. I don't know if that manipulated what Cousin Ant thought or what Eddie thought, but I can tell you that I just watched it myself. The only one talking in the room was myself. Probably was going a little bit sir crazy for this fight, but hey, I'm saying... And this fight has got my vote for fight of the year because it, it was up there. It was a very back-and-forth fight. I'm, like I said, I'm per, super cool with the decision, but I can see why the judges went with the, way, with the decision that they ended up going with. So, again, congratulations to Josh Emmett. I don't know what lies next for him. He's calling out for a title shot. Ah, you know what? You might want to hold that train up, Josh. I don't know if you're ready, bro. I don't know if you're ready. Uh, what's next for Calvin? Does he get back in line? Does he lose spots in the rankings? Uh, he always puts on a good show, so I'm sure that he's still in the good likings with the UFC. Uh, but having said that, let's look at what's going down in the division right now. I'm, I'm pulling up the rankings for the UFC right now, and I'm looking at the 135-pound rankings Max Holloway ranked in at number one. Number two, Brian Ortega. Number three, Yair Rodriguez. Those two guys are going to be fighting in a, in a few weeks. So the top four guys in the division are wrapped up in fights in the next month. 
After that, we had number four, Calvin Kata. Number five, Chan Sung Jung, who just lost a couple months ago to the champ, Volkanovsky. At number six, we got some fresh meat, Arnold Allen. Number seven, the winner from this last weekend's fight, Josh Emmett. Number eight, Giga Chikese. Number nine, Bryce Arkansas Mitchell. Number 10, Mozart Ivalov. Number 11, Dan Ige. Number 12, Sadiq Yusuf. Number 13, Edson Barbosa. Number 14, Shane Burgos. And number 15, Ilya Tupuria. Now, what happens next? Uh, like I said, Volkanovsky's got a fight coming up in two weeks. This is going to be his second fight this year, so I don't foresee him fighting again this year. With that being said, the winner of that fight is going to remain the champ. So they probably so even if Max wins or Volk wins, I don't see either one of them defending the belt the rest of this year. Yair Rodriguez taking on Brian Ortega, uh, like in two weeks. Either one of those needs to still make a, a claim for a title shot. With Ortega just having a title, a knock at the title not too long ago and getting his ass whooped hardcore. He got tuned up by Volkanovsky. Uh, hate to use the same phrase again, but with that being said, Yair just got the crap beat out of him by Volk by uh, Max not too long ago. So I don't know if he's ready or willing or deserving of a title shot. So maybe we can see the winner of this last weekend's fight, Josh Emmett, taking on the winner of Ortega and Rodriguez. That would be a good scrap. Uh, I just went over the rankings. A couple of other matches that I think would be really cool to see would be Bryce Mitchell taking on Arnold Allen. We got two newbies trying to crack into the top five. Bryce Mitchell had a decisive victory over Edson Barbosa, who's also ranked in the top five, but just now outside of the top ten. Um, Arnold Allen having a really good win over, uh, gosh, I can't even remember the guy's name. But, hey, he looked really, really good. Let's get these two guys matched up. I'm not sure if the UFC wants to have these two new top contenders take each other out. But maybe you can match Calvin Cater against, up against one of these guys. Maybe you can match Korean Zombie up against one of these guys. You know, two of these guys are coming off wins. Two of these guys are coming off losses. And the rankings need to get shaken up. We need to interject some new blood into the rankings. It would be really good to see. So ah, we got a lot of good matchups to see in the welterweight rankings. So that's all I got to say about that. Let's move on to the next topic. Next topic, ADCC, Oceana, and Asia Trials. Man, oh, man. All right, ADCC Trials. The last trials of 2022 before we do the damn thing in Vegas. So it was just held in Sydney, Australia this last weekend. Previously scheduled to take place in Singapore, I believe. However, COVID had something in mind and took over Singapore. And luckily, Mohasim and the crew was able to reschedule the whole thing and move the, move the event to Australia before they had to cancel it. So uh, like I said before... All invites uh, after the, or anybody competing in the tournament after this event is going to be by invite only. And if you didn't see my post on Instagram, Mohasim has ensured us that we will hear the rest of the competitors sometime this month. So the, each division will be filled out entirely because at this point, there's only a handful of 
uh, spots left, and it's going to be invite only, as you guys heard. Uh, so let's, let's talk about uh, the winners from this last weekend's trials. At 66 kilos, we had Jeremy Skinner. At 77 kilos, we had Kenta Iwamoto. At 88 kilos, Roberto Dib Frias. At 99 kilos, Isaac Michelle from B Team. And who's next? Fame, if you've been watching that. We'll talk a little bit about who's next in a little bit. And at the plus 99 kilograms, he's been called the Gordon Ryan Doppelganger. I'm talking about Australia's own Josh Sanders. Uh, let me tell you what I saw in the bits and pieces that I watched of this trials. You could basically say that this trials was B team versus Lachlan Giles team, right? Because that was what the majority of the teams that were represented were from was B team and Lachlan Giles. Seriously though, both teams represented very well. I saw some slick ass jujitsu on display. Uh, Man, it was it was fun to watch the matches that I did see. Uh, I did not see a lot of wrestling. Did not see a lot of wrestling as as we saw in the European trials. You know, uh, before I get into the wrestling though, uh, one of the things or one of the per people or competitors that I was really most impressed with was I just mentioned him. He won the ninety nine kilogram division. Isaac Michelle of the B team, and who's next on notoriety. One of the reasons why I was so impressed with his performance was that he ended up moving weight. He ended up going up from 88 to 99 kilos because Craig, who's his coach, is in the 88 kilogram division and he didn't want to have to compete against him or some reason. And and also his teammate J-Rod is in the 88 kilogram division, you know. But now that he's in the 99 kilogram division, guess what? Now he's going to have to tangle with Gordon Ryan and Nikki Rod. So I guess it's pick your poison. I mean, I don't I don't know if he matches up better with them. I don't know if this is just like a, a respect to Craig, you know. But uh, kudos to Isaac for doing this. He had some really good technique. Uh, in one of his earlier matches, he mounted a dude and landed one of my favorite gee chokes. The Ezekiel from the mount. However, he hit it in Nogi. So, dude, shout out, man. That is super hard to do. I've only seen it hit a couple of times in Nogi or MMA. Uh, there is a beast in the UFC who, who hits that quite often. And I for, I'm forgetting his name right now. Uh, but the dude hit it quite a bit. Now, uh, I did see an interview with Craig where he was saying that he – I'm not going to say he put out bounties, but he promised his – team his team members that if they hit what he called quote unquote embarrassing subs on their opponents that he was going to kick down some cheddar so i don't know if that motivated isaac to hit that or not because craig specifically mentioned that he's gonna have to pay out for that one specifically now i don't remember any other b team members hitting embarrassing subs throughout the weekend but I do know that they did come out on top quite a bit, and they are now in the mix with a bunch of the other B-team members. So uh, what can you all expect out there? What did we – from what we saw, let me tell you what I saw. I saw a little 
to no wrestling. I saw lots of guard pulling. I saw regular leg lock game, like you would imagine from Lachlan Giles team members, from B team members. Uh, one thing that I'm, that I am going to say is, is that I did not notice, I did not see the pace being pushed in this trials as much as I saw the pace being pushed in either North American or South American trials. Just the explosiveness, the movements, the scrambles, the up and down. Uh, the refs tried their best to push the pace of the fights. You know, most of the matches didn't end up off of the mats. People kept moving, scrambling for positions. But the hesitancy and the pace of the fights, I, I don't know, man. I don't know, guys. I, I didn't see it out there. I didn't see it. And it, the same, I mean, I saw more, more, put, more pace being pushed and more action than I did in the European trials. But I don't know, man. I'm just wondering if anybody that won here at this trials is going to reach the podium because each division is super stacked. As impressed as I was by Isaac and, and Josh, I don't see how they're going to make it out of their divisions. And don't even get me started at the 66-kilogram division and the 77-kilogram division. How is Kenta Iwamoto going to do against Mika Gaval, Kade Rudolo, or William Tackett? When he was just barely able to get back past standout B-team member Joseph Chen, who I thought was going to win this whole thing. If you guys don't know who Joseph Chen is, I think he's a current purple belt under Craig Jones and the B team down at, out in Austin. He almost won the European trials. I think he lost in the semis and here he lost in the finals, I believe. Uh, but he just got a sick, nasty game. He's very explosive. If I could recommend one thing, I would say, uh, and I'm sure he's already doing, he's probably working on his takedowns because once he gets that down, he can determine where the match is going to go because right now he could sweep you from the bottom. He can pass your guard from the top. He's got a very nasty leg lock game. And if he gets on your back, it's game over. So I was very impressed with Joseph Chen. And if I'm impressed with Joseph Chen, what does that say about Kenta who beat Joseph by takedown in, in overtime? So shout out to Kenta. But again, I do have questions as to how's he going to do. Uh, moving up from the 60 from 77 to 66, how's Jeremy Skinner gonna do? You know, I'm a lighter guy, so I tend to pay attention a little bit more to the lower weight classes. And well, uh, so the 66 kilogram division is the lightest bracket, and Jeremy Skinner won it here in Australia. But now, guess what? He wins. Yeah, he won a gold medal in Australia, but now he gets Josh Narrows, Colabate, Keith Krikorian. And who knows who else is going to get invited because there's a couple of spots open up in this division as well. So good luck, man. Like I said, I don't know how they're going to – How I mean, just because they didn't push the pace doesn't mean that they can't do it. doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to compete. You never know. Each each ADCC, there's always people that come up. I mean, not it wasn't that long ago that we didn't know who Lachlan Giles was or Mason Fowler or Craig Jones, and now those guys are the cream of the crop at the top. So we never know what's going to happen. Um, like I said, the only thing left now is we got to wait for Mo to send out those last invites, have those last individuals agree, sign the contract, and then it is 
on. Uh, or actually, I guess I'm wrong because this next step after that is they got to create the brackets. But hey, then after that, it is on like Donkey Kong and me and Cousin Anna are going to be there. And we'll try to get you guys some exclusive interviews while, we will, while we're out there with fans and competitors, hopefully. Or maybe people that are former competitors or past competitors and they're fans because they want to watch. So we'll see. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the last story or segment I want to talk to you guys about is who's next episode five. We haven't really talked too much about this. Uh, hopefully I can get the guys together and we can do like a whole wrap up show uh, from beginning to end. But what we saw on last week's episode, well, let me break it down for you guys. After this episode, we only have one more episode to go. So we got to know the guests of the house a little bit better on this episode. We got to see an awesome kick-ass match between Checkmat Phenom, uh, Jansen Gomez, and 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu Renee Sosa. We also got to see some weird beef that we didn't even know was cooking. Actually, it kind of has been, been cooking, but now it's spewed over. And I'm talking about Craig Jones and Tim Spriggs' beef reaching new levels. So I've, if I remember correctly... The episode started off with the team challenge, and it was a paddleboard race slash demolition derby, as I would call it. Uh, the teams were separated. Team Jones, Team Spriggs, everybody got paddles. Everybody got boards. What they were supposed to do was race out to a buoy, circle back around it, and come back to the docks with your board and with your paddle. Other than that, I don't know if they gave them very many rules because it seemed like a fucking free-for-all and everybody was just jumping on fools, throwing people's paddles. There was even a dude that didn't know how to swim. It was nuts. It went down exactly how you thought it was. Would complete chaos as the guys were reaching the docks and you thought it was almost over. Craig Jones starts throwing team Spriggs guys back into the water Team Sprig, uh, Team Spriggs. Tim Spriggs didn't appreciate it and didn't join in, but he just kept chirping, just kept, hey, that's not right. That's not fair. He's a coach. Why are you doing that? No one stopped it from happening, and it just kept on. Eventually, Team Jones won the competition and won the steak dinner that was at stake. Now, once the match was over, uh, I don't know if this is what led to the, the – I don't know if this was the tipping point that led to Tim Spriggs crossing – I don't know if I, you would say cross the line, but he eventually came back at Craig Jones. For some reason, uh, Craig Jones' team was about to leave the gym. Tim Spriggs' team was arriving at the gym to train. And in passing, they started jawing at each other. Craig Jones told Tim Spriggs, why doesn't he just sign the contract? Apparently, Craig Jones had a contract in hand from the Who's Number One organization, pitting Spriggs up against Craig Jones, with Craig Jones already having signed the contract, I guess. And he's trying to get Spriggs to sign the contract. However, Spriggs was having none of that. None of that. In fact, he was so bold as to say that 
Craig Jones was beneath him, that there's no reason for him to have to fight him when he's the heavyweight champ of who's number one. And in fact, he really wants a match against Gordon Ryan. So Craig shouldn't even be talking about a match with Tim Spriggs because he's out of his league. But wait a minute. If I remember correctly, I don't know if you guys remember out there correctly, but in March of 2019, these two did have a match under grappling industry banner. And I, I don't know what the rule set was. I don't know if it was EBI rules or whatnot. However, you can find the match. It's on YouTube. It's not a grappling industries video. I think somebody else dubbed their commentary over it. Uh, you might want to turn it down. It, it, it The commentary is a little funny. It is a little um, distracting. So I just turned it down and watched the match. But what I saw was, uh, and again, this was from 2019. So, so this is about three years old now. So with that being said, Craig's probably a little bit better. Craig's got a lot more experience. Uh, Spriggs as well is a a little bit older however he might be on the wrong side of 30 now and i, I mean I, I don't know what the age of craig or tim is but i know that spriggs has been in the game a lot longer and he does have more wear and tear than gordon now if we get back to the match uh if you haven't watched it spoiler alert spoiler alert you might want to fast forward this part uh but craig jones practically rips off Tim Spriggs' arm at about, I don't know, three minutes, 15 seconds into the match. And not only does he do it once, he does it twice. And each time that he does it, Tim Spriggs reacts just the way you someone would if their arm gets broken. He's shaking it around. He's not lifting it up. It's kind of just hanging there like a piece of meat on a rack. Uh However, later on in the match, he does continue to use it. And he was reaching and grabbing at Craig. So shout out to Tim Spriggs, man. He is a warrior. I will not take that away from you, Tim. You're a beast, my man. And you are a champ. However, in this case, I think you need to stand down. I think you need to stand down and you need to recognize uh, and not let your ego get in the way and, and give Craig his props, man. Because if you go back in that match, you see that Craig – Knows that he damaged his arm, asks him and the ref several times if he's okay, and he the match continues. And then Craig, and I'm you know you know what you gotta have a it, to me. I saw uh, there was a match a part in the match later on where Craig goes for the same arm again after he knows he already damaged it, and he almost does it again. I don't know if I could do that to an opponent. And after doing that, Craig, it kind of looks like Craig felt like he couldn't because instead of going for that arm again, he starts working his leg game and he ends up heel hooking Tim Spriggs. Now, since then, I will give a shout out to Tim Spriggs. He has become the uh, who's number one heavyweight champ. And he did that by winning the tournament. He beat Tex Johnson by decision. Then he beat Hassan Rita by heel hook. And then he beat Kanye, 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 Kanye Duarte by inside heel hook again, becoming the who's number one champ. Now, does that change anything that happened between him and Craig? Heck to the naw. I would say that the only thing that can really do is set this match up again and, and do it again. But from what I've seen in this show, 
And from that tantrum that I saw being thrown by Tim, he's not doing himself any favors, and he's making himself look pretty bad. Uh, something that's kind of been called out by Craig Jones is that Tim's not rolling with his guys in practice. What kind of coach doesn't roll with you in practice? You know, I don't know why he's not doing that. I don't know if that's because he thinks he's above them. I don't know if he just doesn't want to get hurt. Who knows? But, but again, this does make him look like a douche, fending off Craig, giving no real answers as to why he doesn't want a rematch, possibly because he knows he's going to lose. I don't know. And again, and one of the one of the points that Spriggs made was that Craig didn't beat Ty. He didn't beat Ty. If you guys remember, he took uh, Ty Ruderlo on in the Who's Number One match back in June of 2021, and he won by decision. Uh, to me, it didn't seem that he was pushing the pace or was really trying to put it on Ty. Uh, but who knows? Ty has come a long, long ways, and his game has improved leaps and bounds. I don't know if Tim Spreef could beat Ty Ruderlo, as a matter of fact. So you, you, we don't know. But you know what? We'll get to see both of those guys compete at ADCC. We're going to see Spriggs competing in the 99th kilogram division, and we're going to see Craig in the 88 kilogram division. So if either one of those, if both of those guys place in their division, which uh, I know Craig will, will Spriggs? I don't know, man. That division is stacked. There's Mason up in there. Uh, there's there's a lot of there's a lot a lot of heavy hitters. We'll talk about those guys later on. But if he does manage to make the podium and he does sign up for the absolutes, we could totally see a Craig and Tim Spriggs match in the absolute. Otherwise, we may have to wait till after ADCC uh, if these guys, these guys could totally be setting us up. They could be totally rope-a-doping us, taking a page out of WWE and setting us up for a big pay-per-view match down the line that we'll have to pay a little bit of money to see. And I will gladly pay because I want to see Craig Jones do his thing to Tim Sprigs again. So uh, if you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. Episode five. We got one more episode to go and we'll have a season finale wrap up episode coming up in the next couple of weeks. All right, Jujiteros. That is a wrap for this week's episode. Before we cut out. I want to give a special shout out to all my rivalry peeps at Rivalry Jiu-Jitsu. Every one of you that's out there getting ready for your super fight. They're all getting ready for the Rivalry Jiu-Jitsu super fight event coming up. This is two years in a row. Shout! Get it, ladies and gentlemen. Have fun out there. Cannot wait. All right, crew. Next week, I will have everybody back. We'll be breaking down UFC 276 that's being main evented by Israel Arasanya taking on Jared Cannonier. We'll have all the fight stats, all our fight picks. We'll see where we might be able to earn a little bit of cheddar if we keep our fingers crossed and play nice with some prop bets that you think that we think you might want to take a look at. And Coming up very, very soon, we're going to be recording our next episode of 40s with Friends, and we are going to have some, what did you just say, super crazy stories for you to sh- that we're going to be sharing with y'all, so stay tuned with that. Hey, Jujiteros, have a great week out there. Stay safe. Keep rolling and training, and we hope to hear from you soon. Peace. This is The Motivation. Motivation.